Have you ever been at the wrong place at the wrong time? Anybody ever, like, you, you're, like you're hanging out with friends, and while you're hanging out with friends, you're talking to them outside, and a bird poops on you? Come on, raise your hand if you've ever been pooped on before by a bird. Raise your hand, raise your hand. Man, there's a lot of birds out there. And, and then maybe you were at a bus stop waiting in the rain, and then all of a sudden a bus or a car comes by and splashes you. That's the wrong place at the wrong time. My family understands a little bit about what that means because we were at a theme park one time. And while we're there, we're standing underneath the roller coaster. Sometimes it's fun to kind of watch people scream and see their face. And uh, as we're standing underneath the roller coaster, during the corkscrew, the, the whoosh would come over us about every two minutes or so. And, and this particular time, the whoosh came over, and, and there, there was some spit that, that fell from somebody's mouth, from the roller coaster stream, and it just came down and landed right on my daughter Alexandra's face. I mean, all on her glasses, on her cheek. She looks at me, she's like, yeah, daddy. I'm looking at her like, unclean, unclean. Somebody say the wrong place at the wrong time. I was in a bathroom, at a, a men's bathroom at a restaurant, nice restaurant. I'm washing my hands, and, um, and this lady walks in. And you should have seen the look on her face, man. She was so embarrassed. And I'm, I'm, I'm pretty empathetic with that because I've done that before. I've walked in the wrong bathroom. And, and so I walk, I, I look at her, and I'm like, ma'am, I try to calm her down. Ma'am, it's okay. You're in the wrong bathroom, but don't worry about it. I've done that a lot of times, and it's, it's okay. I know it's a little awkward, but I'm, I'm okay with it. She walks out, and, and, and then she walks back in. <laughs> and, and she says with attitude, um, you're in the wrong bathroom. <laughs> to which I do what every guy does to check for bathroom confirmation. Is there a urinal here? We start looking for the urinal. No, and sure enough, she was right. I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. But how many have ever been in the right place at the right time? Like, uh, we were at Disneyland, and we love Disneyland. It's a great place. And when the girls are young, they just melt down about 9.30 and about 4.30. There's no reason to stay there. If the kids are crying, just leave. Go back to the hotel, sleep. And you know me, Mr. Frugal, I'm like, no, we, we paid all this money. You're going to get your butt back on Peter Pan and ride him one more time. Ride this ride. Roll, look at the roller coasters. Look at, you know, all this stuff. Try and get all that we can. Now our girls are a little older, and we don't need to do that as much, right? So, so um, anytime I see, like, a mom or a dad with kids crying and, and screaming, and they're just melting down, I walk up past them. I'm like, happiest place on earth. Because we're not there anymore. Like, it's, it's amazing. And, and then you're in line, right? You have to stand in line for a week to ride a ride. And it just takes forever. Well, we came around the corner one time, all six of us in our tribe. And, and this lady kind of bumped into us. She worked there. And as she's there, she says, hey, she has these necklaces and lanyards. She's like, would you guys like to stay in the park an hour after it closes? I'm like, um, let me think about it. Yes. So they usher us over to a place where secluded area. They let every, kick everybody else out of the park, and then we get to roam around the entire park with a, with a, for another hour. No lines. I mean, we're riding rides like this. Like, it's the way Disneyland ought to be. Can I hear an amen? 100,000 people. That's a city in Disneyland every day. 
Say right place. Say right time. Say right place. Right time. You'd agree with this statement that a lot of good stuff can happen when you're in the right place at the right time. I feel like this church and where we are as a season, I feel like you're in the right place at the right time. And a lot of times in life, we can think that, you know, good things happen to us just because it's a fluke accident. You just happen to be there. Uh, We might even say it's the favor of God. I believe that there are some things that you can do, some steps that you can take to place yourself in the right place at the right time that would really take, that would take you to a place where it catapults you and perpetuates a season of blessing and fulfillment. Right place at the right time. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't get there because they have a wrong view. They have a wrong view of a lot of things in life. And a wrong view can, can be disastrous for somebody trying to get into the place where God wants them to be. It's like somebody that walks into a room and other people are talking and they just kind of glance and then they, they go back to talking. Well, this person, if they think that everybody's talking about them, that becomes their reality even though it might not be true. Their perception is their reality, even though it's not probably true. Let me explain it another way. I went to a, a pass by a restaurant in this city, and I never used to think, like, I, I don't think I want to go there. It doesn't look appealing to me. It's, I'm not sure. It's called creation. I'm like, I don't even know if I want to go there. And I, that's probably bad. Well, one day I went there. It's amazing. Number 66. That's steak. Yeah, it's like filet mignon over garlic noodles. Who doesn't want that? It's amazing. But before that, my my perception was my reality. And I'm just telling you, listen to me, everybody. Listen, that that your perception becomes your reality and it becomes a dangerous thing. If you think one way, that may be your reality, but it's not true all the time. Here's a great verse. Proverbs 23, 7 says that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So, So it's important to understand that how you think about yourself, what you think about yourself, And what you think about other people, it's so important that you get the right view because if it's the wrong view, you'll think that it's it's, it's the right one and it's not. It's not. Let me give you three things that a lot of people mix up. First of all, write this down. We have a wrong view of ourself. A lot of times we have a wrong view of ourself. And in this moment of, of where we are in society, there's an epidemic number of people that have a wrong view of who they are. And maybe you're here today. Maybe that's you. Maybe you struggle with your identity. Maybe you struggle with feeling like, you know, you don't have anything to offer. Maybe you struggle with feeling insecure. Or maybe you feel like, like you've done too many bad things in your past and God can never use you. You're almost, you almost feel like you're soiled and damaged goods. Well, listen to me. I'm going to say this phrase, that the way you think affects the way you live and determines what you're a part of and what you give your life to. I'm going to say it again. The way you think affects the way you live, and it determines what, you, you're, what you're a part of and what you give your life to. Maybe, maybe you're here today. Not only do you have a wrong view of yourself, maybe, just maybe, you have a wrong view of church. A lot of people, when I invite them to church, their first response is, I'm good. I'm, I'm all right, man. I'm good. Because immediately their mind goes back to when they were a kid, they went to church and it was boring or judgmental or, or whatever, and they, they just think, man, I don't want anything. To, if that's what church is, I don't want anything to do with that. Remember, how you think affects the way you live, which determines what you're a part of and what you give your life to. 
I love it when fr- people come here for the first time. I love it. I love it. I love shaking hands in the lobby. I love just, I, lo- I love people. And I love hearing the stories like, this is my first time. And their faces lit up. And they're saying, I never knew church could be like this. I didn't know you could laugh in church. I never knew that growing up. Church was so boring growing up. I'm just telling you, everybody, we have, we have invested so much into trying to make the worship experience on a Sunday wonderful for first-time guests. And we even have a, a, a delivery guy who comes and delivers packages here once a week or a couple times a week. And somebody on our staff has invited this person a lot of times. And they just said, no, 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 no. I went to church when I was young. It was so boring and falling asleep. Well, well, she kept inviting him, kept inviting him, kept inviting him. He kept saying, no, finally he came last Sunday. And afterwards he was like, I loved it. I didn't fall asleep. I'll be back next week. Come on, let's give it up for the delivery guy. We tell people, man, if you could just get here one time, just get here one time, one time, one time, you'll, you'll experience church probably in a way that maybe you didn't growing up. But people have a wrong view of church and what, the way you think, it affects the way you, you live and determines what you're part of and what you give your life to. Another thing people oftentimes have a wrong view is, write this down, a wrong view of Jesus. They have a wrong view of Jesus. There's a lot of confusion surrounding Jesus and people think that he might be some, some angry dictator, or, or maybe he's just some distant God, or maybe they're not even sure if he is God, and, and, and they're struggling maybe with wondering with what they've done in their past. How could he ever love them or accept them? Remember, how you think affects the way you live, and it, it determines what you're a part of, and, and it determines what you give your life to. Well, at our church, our goal is we want people to, to, be, to be developed into fully devoted followers of Christ. So we've created an atmosphere, an environment where people can come into church and get the right view on all three of these things. And here's our heart, okay? We're going to start and unpack these three together. Number one, write this down. You may not know this, but you are God's plan for the world. You are God's plan for the world. And let me say it another way. You're God's plan to reach the world. Now, in order to reach the world, in order for God to use you You need to know this, write this down, that God's love for you is unshakable. It is unshakable. You could never do anything to gain his love or to lose his love. His love is consistent. Doesn't mean that there's not consequences for our decisions and for our our bad choices and for sin. But his love for you is absolutely consistent. Romans 8 says there's nothing that can separate you from his love. Matter of fact, let's read Ephesians chapter 2. The Bible says... If Paul is talking, he's a writer of this book, and he was a follower of Christ. But before that, he was a Christian hater, and he became one of the greatest writers of the Bible. But because of his great love, talking about God, his love for us, God, who is rich in mercy. Everybody say mercy. <clears throat> mercy is withholding from you what you deserve, the judgment part. He's rich in that. He made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. Transgressions is a big Bible word that just talks about your sin. My sin. When we were dead in that, God still loved us. He, showed, he raised us to life. It is by grace that you have been saved. We don't work for salvation. You don't earn it. It's a free gift that you accept from God Almighty. Look at the next verse, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrated his own love for us, like God showed us. Anybody glad that God didn't just tell us? Because talk can sometimes be cheap. He showed us. How did he show us? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He paid the price for our sin. And that was the price of a perfect life. Jesus was the only one 
who had that perfect life. And he did that because you are valuable. Turn and tell somebody, you're valuable. You're valuable. You're valuable. You, my friend, are extremely valuable. There's a story of a little kid, and he, he worked for years on this one boat. I mean, it was, he's little, so it took him a little longer, and he's, he's carving out the wood, and he's sanding it down, and, and then he, he puts all the masses up, and he glues it, and he paints it, puts his name on it. It's, it's amazing, and he's out with the string on the lake, just kind of running by, enjoying the boat, until the string one day gets loose from his hand, and he loses the boat. The boat like sails way off and he's crying. He's walking home thinking, this is horrible. I spent so much time invested in that boat. About a week later, he's walking from home from school and he sees in a store window his boat. It's for sale at a pawn shop. He runs in. He's like, mister, mister, that's my boat. Can I have my boat back? And he's like, well, you can buy it. I don't know. It's yours. He's like, it has my name on it. He says, it, 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 you'll have to pay this amount. The kid says, okay. And he goes home. He mows lawns. He works around the neighborhood. He gathers as much money as he possibly can, counts it all out. And he comes back one day and puts it on top of the counter, all in change. And he says, I'm ready to buy my boat. And secondly, or all of a sudden, this this guy who who had the boat, he counted all the pennies, counted all the nickels and quarters. And sure enough, it it was the right amount. And he gives him the boat. And as he walks out of that store, he clutches this boat and says, little boat, you are twice mine. Because I made you first, I lost you, and now I have bought you back. I wonder, is there anybody that understands the principle that God made us? We have been lost by sin, but Jesus says, I'm willing to buy you back with the price of his own life. Come on, we ought to give Jesus thanks for that, everybody. You are twice his. You're valuable. You are his answer. You are the plan to reach the world. God's love is unshakable, and write this down. You can be made new. You could be made new. And a lot of people struggle with this. But 1 John 1, 9 is very clear. If we confess our sins, then he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love the word all. It didn't just say from some. It said all of it. All the sin. Now, some of you are looking at me and saying, well, Sean, that's forgiveness, but that's not, that's not new. No. To be forgiven is to be made new. When God forgives you, he makes you new. Some of you are looking at me confused. Let me show you this in Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, again, an all-inclusive anyone, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, and behold, all things have become brand spanking new. He doesn't just, he doesn't just forgive you and then say, I'll never forget. He says, I'm going to forget that stuff. I'm going to make you new. I'm going to give you a new life. Anybody thankful for that? And the reason we're dealing with this first is because if you have a wrong view of yourself, you'll never have a right view of God. You could be made new and write this down, that you were made for purpose. You were made on purpose and you were made for purpose. And unfortunately, a lot of people in church, about 87% of people, they have no idea why they're here. 87% of the body of Christ, of people, of church, not to even mention people outside of the church, they go, to church, they go to church, they go to school, they go to work, they earn a living, they get married, they have families, and they die, and they never understand why they're here. God has a specific and a unique calling on your life, and there's purpose. Let me show you, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. God saved us first, and then he called us to a holy life. He wants you to be set apart for something specific. 
When I set this shirt aside today, it became holy because I set it apart. Not because I'm wearing it, but that you're setting it apart for a purpose. What's the purpose? Well, I want to wear it. Well, God has saved you. He, he saved you, and then he called you for a specific purpose. He didn't just save you, just to save you, and then leave you, and you sit soaking sour. He said, I want to call you to something higher than you ever thought possible. And then he goes on to say that I, I saved you, I called you, not because of anything you've done. <laughs> we know that. But because of his own purpose and his amazing grace. Isn't that great, somebody? So here's God. He gives you a calling, but listen, we don't ever fulfill our, our calling alone. You're never going to fulfill your purpose alone. God's called you, and now he's graced you, but he does that in the idea of a context of you with other people. Now, a lot of people have a wrong view of themselves. A lot of people have a wrong view of, write this down, church, but church is the hope of the world. That you are God's plan for the world. The church, the local church, is the hope of the world. And here's something that I want you to write down. I was thinking about a phrase, like how can I encapsulate this? How can I get people to understand? So here's this phrase. Church is not something I watch, it's something I am. It's not something that you do, it is something that we are. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19. It's a great verse. You are no longer foreigners and strangers, meaning talking about God. You're no longer on the outside. But God's bringing you closer, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of God's household. Look at somebody and say, you're family. You're just family. You don't get to pick your family. We're just all family. Anybody have that crazy uncle in the family? Come on, wave at me. If you're not waving your hand, that's probably you. We're family. We look different. We act different. We say, we talk different. It's okay. We're family. God's called you. You're no longer on the outside, but you belong here. Let me take it a step further. You belong here before you even believe. You don't have to believe everything that we believe. You belong here first. God says, I'm I'm calling you as a part of a family. And, And here's God's strategy. He wants to take people who are lost, hurting, and broken, heal them and forgive them, turn it around so that he can reach other people. That's his strategy. Like the church is not a building. We love this building. This is a place where church can happen. But before that, it was a hardware store. I never walked in here and like, like high-fiving the clerks at, at Orchard Supply Hardware. Like, this building's amazing. <laughs> but since we've been in here, this building is amazing. Not because of the building, but because of what God can do in the lives of people inside of a place. It has now become a holy place where God can move in the lives of people. It's, the church is not a building. It's people. You remember this? Here's a church. Here's a steeple. Open the doors. See all the people. Without the people, there is no church. I can guarantee you that. And which, by the way, really puts in perspective of why we come to church. It's not just to to come and gather information and go home. But God now has called us. The reason we value church so much is because when we get together, God shows up. He transforms us. People, he takes ordinary people like you and me with a past. And he transforms us by his grace to reach other people. Is this making sense, yes or no? Romans chapter 12, verse 4. Another verse says, For just as 
Each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. How many are glad that you don't have, like, a plethora of elbows? <laughs> there are different parts of the body, right? We all have different functions. Now, now he goes on to, to, to tie this into you and me. So in Christ, though we're many, we form one body, that's his church, and each member belongs to all the others. We are one body. Write this down, that the church is not something I'm, I, I watch, it's something I am. And number two, we value the church because Jesus did. Why do we value church? Because Jesus did. Ephesians 5.25 says, talking about marriage, husbands, love your wives. We ought to cherish and honor and respect our wives. And Jesus goes on to define that. He doesn't just say, you know, however you feel that they deserve love. He says, I want you to do this in a way like me. I laid down my life for the church. That takes, that takes a whole nother meaning to love your wife. But Jesus did that. And then in Matthew, he, he comes on, along in the next verse. He says, I will build my church and even the gates of Hades, which is another word for hell, H-E double hockey sticks, even hell will not be able to overcome it. Jesus Christ loves the church so much that in the 33 years of his life, listen, it's the only thing he built. It's the only thing he ever built was the church. Now, let me ask you a question. If Jesus birthed the church and he, he, and, he, and he built the church and he empowered the church and he's sustaining the church, how many think the church is pretty important to him? And what's important to him ought to be important to us. The church is so powerful in all of our life. Church has not been something we do. It is who we are. And that's why even in our family, my wife and I and our, our daughters, we have never had two worlds where you know, we're going to do this world over here. This is the girls' world, and they got school, and they got, you know, soccer, and all this other stuff. And then over here, this is my world. This is church world. We've never had two worlds. Matter of fact, we've, we've, we've said a, lo- a no to a lot of things, like sports and things that would take the girls away on Sundays for our family, because we just say church is such a priority to us. This is the, with what we do on a Sunday. This is our world. And let me tell you why it's important. of people that make a decision to follow God do so at a church on a weekend. 90%. So we want to make sure that we're here serving, praying, giving for the cause of building a life-giving church where life change can happen. Write this down. We value church because of what it represents. We value church because Jesus did, and then we value church because of what it represents. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10 says this, that God's intent was that now through the church, underline that phrase, through the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. This is crazy. Like God would entrust us to, to, to make him known around the globe. That, that's scary. He has entrusted us with, with, with the lives of the world. That through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. And then Ephesians comes along and kind of echoes that and says, So Christ gave himself apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service. So my job as a pastor is not to do ministry. It's to equip you to do ministry. You are all ministers of the gospel. I ordain you today in the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That your role is so much greater than simply attending a church. You, you, you need to know that when we leave here, we are going into the mission field on your job, on your school, in your neighborhood to be the representation of Jesus Christ in the earth. That we, this is who we are. We value church because of what it represents. And then it goes on to say, so that the body of Christ, that's the church, may be 
muscular, six-pack, protein shake, built up. From him, the whole body, that's us, the church, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, it grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Listen, a lot of people come to church and like, man, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me, ah, ah. The only people that cry about eating and food are babies. Grown folks get up and make themselves a sandwich. Just telling you. We don't come to church to get fed. We come to church. This is a strategizing moment where we can figure out how can we reach our friends for Christ. How can we, how, all the names that we wrote on the wall in the back, believing that they're going to come to know God in this building, how can we get them here? How can we love them? How can we tell them about the, G, uh, the Jesus that changed our lives? I'm telling you, everybody, it shifts. Your whole focus of church begins to shift where it's not just something that we attend. It is who we are. And a lot of churches understand the first principle, like a church ought to be a hospital. It ought to be a place where broken people can come and get healed. But you shouldn't stop there. It goes on to grow into a Family. Family. But it shouldn't stop there. And the problem is a lot of churches stop there. We just become a really tight-knit family. There is another level of church. It is where we, we're not just a hospital. We're not just family. We are an army. Raising up for such a time as this to be God's representation in the earth. To let people know that God loves them, that there's still hope and there's still healing. And so we do the four things we do. We know God. That's Sundays. We, we want people to find freedom. That's small groups. We want people to discover purpose. That's growth track. And we want people to make a difference. That's when you jump on our dream team and you begin to serve. So, so let me just end with this last one, all right? You're God's plan for the world. The church is the hope of the world. Number three, Jesus is the Savior of the world. It's all stacking up the dominoes. Are you seeing this? Jesus said in John 3, 16, uh, John did about God. He says, for God so loved the world. He didn't hate the world, so he sent his son. He loved the world so much. You were so valuable to him. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross. He says, if anybody believes in him, he wouldn't have to perish, but he'll have eternal life. Jesus in John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through him. There's not many ways to God. There's one way. And people are like, well, why is God sending people to hell? And how come all this? Listen, God's not sending people to hell. Let me explain it. Jesus said, if you believe in me, here's a free gift. We all deserve God's judgment, all of us, because of our sin. Hell is not a place God sends people who he's mad at. It's It's a place where people go if they choose to pay for their sin if they want to. Somebody has to pay for sin. So if you want to pay for it yourself, that's, that's how you do that. I would much rather you let God take the bill. Let him pay for you. Don't fight him like it's some meal at Chili's. Like, oh no, let me get that. You can't get that. There's no way we can ever afford the payment of... How many love sponsors, right? You, if you're watching the show, it's like, hey, this show is sponsored by Nabisco. A sponsor is somebody who pays for it so other people can get the benefit. Jesus Christ paid for our sin. You and I benefit. I wonder, is there anybody in the room today that's grateful that our God paid for our sins so we can have forgiveness, peace, joy, eternal life? Come on! He is the Savior of the world. And all of this is so that, so that, so that. Not just so we can be here and be like, woo, I'm safe. It's for a purpose. 
Ephesians 2, 8 and 10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. That is a free gift, everybody. You didn't work for it. You don't earn it. It's given to you. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast or brag. Here it is, verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. The good works he's talking about is <coughs> fulfilling your purpose and calling on the earth by letting other people know about the love of God, which God prepared in advance for you to do. We say this a lot, that there was purpose before there was a you. God never had a uh-oh moment where he's like, what are we, we going to do with him? She's an oopsie baby. I wasn't planning on her. Gabriel, quick, we got to figure something for her to do. There was always purpose first. That's why every child has a purpose. Every pregnancy has a purpose. Every life has a purpose. And when you understand that, you value life, you value purpose, and you connect to that. Our goal, our goal of this church is to get you through our growth track. It happens every, the first Sunday of every month. It happens. It starts again. Four Sundays. Step one, step two, step three, step four. Get your friends there. And everybody in the lobby, we're asking, hey, have you been to the growth track? No, you need to go. It's going to change your life. But when you do, watch this, you'll come alive when you get this last one. This verse is not in your notes. I want you to really pay attention. John 21. It's on the screen. John 21, Jesus is talking to Peter. It's after Jesus rose from the dead, and he's, he's asking him a couple questions. He's like, hey, Peter, do you love me? And he's like, yes, Lord, you know I love you. I've been following you for three years. Come on. And Jesus says, I'll know that you love me when you feed my sheep. He asks him the second time, do you love me? Yes. Yes. I just said yes. I love you. I'll know that you love me when you tend my lambs. A third time. How many are getting a little embarrassed for Peter right now? By the way, this is in front of the fellas on the beach. Just after a major failure from Peter. Jesus says a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. Because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, I don't take your word for it. Here's how I'll know. If you feed my sheep, I'll know. He's not talking about lambs, lambs. He's you know, or sheep. He's talking about people. He said, you get involved in the, in the needs and the nurture of people. Then I'll know. And really what it boils down to is, watch this. God knows how much you love him by how you treat people. This is a staggering thought. This throws our view, our worldview, way upside down. Because we had a wrong view of ourselves. Like, I can never be used. Nope, you're God's plan for the world. But I don't want to be a part of a church that's just an organization. No, that's, that's the hope of the world. I don't know if Jesus can never use me. I've done too much. No, Jesus is your Savior. When you get a correct view of all these things, life begins to make sense. It's why we're here. It's what we value. It's why we exist. And I believe, listen to me, everybody. I believe that you are in the right place at the right time. We're going to make the biggest impact in the globe that we possibly can. This is not just a click and a social club on Sundays. This is a movement of hope and healing. There's a story of a young boy who was walking the beach and there were so many thousands of starfish on the, on the sand. And he was taking them and taking one by one, throwing them back in the water. 
till an older gentleman came walking by and said, young man, what are you doing? He said, well, it's so hot out here. These starfish are going to die. And so I'm picking them up and I'm throwing them out back into the ocean so they can live. The old man said, listen, son, that's, that's nice of you, but come on, there are thousands of starship, star, starfish are on the beach. You're not going to make a difference for all of them. At that point, the little boy bent down, grabbed a starfish, and threw it back in the ocean. And he said, I made a difference for that one. I made a difference for that one. You may not be able to make a difference for everybody. You can make a difference for somebody. Listen, this is what we value. This is why we exist. I believe that you are in the right place at the right time, placing ourselves in a movement like this so that hope and healing could be experienced through the entire area of the bay and to the nations. Right place, right time. Right place, right time. And I believe with the correct view, God's going to change everything, the whole ball game for his glory. Amen, everybody. Come on, if you believe it, give the Lord a hand.